The answer's on the way. That thing that you've been praying about, that relationship, that whatever it is, just what's that thing that seems to clog your mind and fill your mind? Sometimes just to a point where you just you, you try to just remove it from your mind because you're consumed with it. And it's just, it's there. And it's like, God, if you could, then this would happen. That thing that fills your waking days and your sleepless nights, that thing that if God could do that, then it means this. That thing that you've labored over and begged God for and prayed and been diligent in, and, 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 and taken it to him hundreds of times, the answer is, is on its way. Sooner or later, an answer will come to that request, to that burden, to that thing, to that relationship, to that whatever it is. And, but it begins by us obviously praying about it and, and then us knowing that when we give it to God that, that he has the perfect solution for it. And when we finally come to grips with it's in God's hands and that somehow I've thrown it his way through prayer and now I'm leaving it there and then somehow I'm going to believe that and because it's in his hand, the answer is coming, I'm going to live in such a way that he is going to come through whether it's yes, no, stop, another way. And when we begin to believe that we're just not throwing these prayers out into the galaxies and they're bouncing off of constellations and they're just out there just playing, playing uh, 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 space invaders out through the, the, the world, when we know that it falls to the hands of our God, it causes us to pray differently and live differently. Prayers also live way beyond our exit date on earth. Let, let me preface it by saying this. There's no expiration date to your prayers. It's not like when you die, you know, the prayers that you've thrown up to God, they just kind of fall from his throne and just, they dissipate. Those prayers that you've offered and labored and prayed about for years and years and years will live far beyond your human life. And those prayers that other people have prayed by your grandmothers and grandfathers and great, 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 and, and those Old Testament saints from, from Adam on, they're still having impact on our lives today. It's not as if they stop when you stop living humanly on earth. There's no expiration date to your prayers. In fact, all of us are beneficiaries of people who have prayed way before us, long time ago, and even just recently who've passed on. We are the beneficiaries of other people who have prayed for us. Prayers that were offered years ago, months ago, weeks ago, on behalf of some mama, on some papa, or some group that was gathered together, or, or some city, or some church, or or some uncle, or some aunt, or brother, or sister, these prayers that were offered even way, way before we were born are still impacting potentially our lives today. So why do I say that? I mean, we ought to be people of prayer because the effects of our prayers continue way past our expiration date. You know, when I think about that, even, even I put it present tense into Grace Community Church today, way before many of you ever came into Grace Community Church, way before I walked onto the scene as a, as a, a, a pastor 
here at Grace Community Church, fresh out of seminary, way before I got here, there were people already praying for us. There were already people that, that were praying that there would be a church that would grab a community and that many would come to Christ. You are the recipient potentially of salvation because of someone you don't even know. But praise God for them. And so sometimes we just need to pause and pull away and say, man, thanks for praying, Mama. And, if, you know, I even personally know that my, my great-great-grandmother prayed for the generations to come. I've never met her, but my mom tells me about her great-grandmother who would sit in her chair, Grandma Orphe, and she would pray for the generations to come that they would be Christ followers. And here I am. So when I think through that, I think about, I try to bring that to practical. You know, even Grace Community Church, when people walk in today, they have, many have no concept of what happened before. And there was a time in 1954, 46 plus 13, 59 years ago, that a group of people gathered on this small portion of land, parcel land, across the street from where Dr. Judd's dentist's office is now. And God laid on their heart, there's a picture of them holding hands and saying, we believe that God wants to plant a church in Goshen, Indiana. We believe that one day that God will, will use this group of people and the people to come to bring thousands to Jesus Christ. There's a picture of them standing in a circle in 1954, praying for the church and praying for that community. And guess what? We are recipients of 59-year-old prayers. It's exciting to think about. And for me personally, there were many people who were on the scene praying for Grace Community before I came in, and, and I pulled an old photo out of many, many, many years ago. Take a look at this group that was gathered many, many years ago. It's a beautiful picture to me, I, you know, and, and some of are, are still here. If you look in the center back, that's Chuck Cheek who still attends here. And, and even to his right is Floyd Welling who still attends here. And even right in the center, the lady in the center is Esther Lance. That's Krista Lance's, um, or Krista Smith's mom. She, she still attends here. And, and Brenda Welling to the left over there, she's a missionary that we support to Mexico City. And, and Tim Welling's a little squirt somewhere there that's now like 150 years old, but he's, he's, he's there. And there's Letha Swihart, who's now married to Ray Hoover. And, 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 and if you look hard enough, you'll see many, many others. And it's because of their prayers. Listen. That maybe your son or daughter came to Christ. And it's because of their prayers that maybe you came to Christ. And it's because of their prayers that maybe your marriage is intact today. It's because of their prayers that you get to worship at Grace Communion today. 17 years ago, when I came here, there were a group of people who were still doing the same thing. They were praying. They were people like Hazel Chapman and, and, and that labored in prayer. That you, you don't even know, but you'll meet her in heaven one day. People that you don't know that were praying for the ministry of, of, of Grace Church. And when I came here 17 years ago, there was a dear man that I followed, a retired minister by the name of Carl Miller, 67. And I remember getting with him in my early days. We, we, we kind of uh, overlapped together for like three months. And he would pray, dear God, I pray that there would be a revival that would come to Goshen. I pray, God, that you would use this body of people. And, 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 and it was just, it was a small church of 60 people. And he was praying for the future. I, I got a picture of, of me and my, my dear brother, Pastor Carl Miller. This is me when I first came to Grace, and they did an article in the paper, and, 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 and Pastor Carl, I get to stand up and be propped up by his prayers, <laughs> and you do too. And there's a picture that says Brown's shining testimony. It says, Brown's vision includes a new worship center. 
Praise God for that. <laughs> when I look back at that picture, I just praise God for Carl and Betty Miller who labored and prayed that somehow we could experience what we're experiencing today. And then there was a group of people that when we moved from that building and moved to the middle school on, on, uh, down here at Goshen Middle School where we went portable church for two years, people came in and set up. And during that time, we prayed that God would give us a piece of land and we happened to see this piece of land and the lady that had been approached by many, many, many people and, and that businesses wanted to come in here and put a, uh, put a business on this piece of property. And we had a group called the Dream Team that, that came and went to her and said, hey, we'd like to put a church here. And this property was given to her from her father and he used to farm it and the family farmed it. And her father was a believer. And a lot of people came and she kept saying, no, 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 no. And I remember just seeing this piece and I said, that would be a great place for a, 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 the building of Grace Community Church. And Finally, we approached her and she said, you know what? My father is long and gone and he's with the Lord. And there's no doubt in my mind, he would love for a church to be placed on the property that he used to farm. And she sold it to us. And there was a group of men that some are even part of grace today. And, and there were individuals that still part of grace today that sacrificed vacations and, and gave money and, and dug into their IRA so that this building could be built. And kids gave their pennies. And you, you might not ever know that, but one day in heaven, they'll be standing before their, their Savior and he'll, he'll recognize them for that. And there were a group of men that came to this piece of property and we had a, a capital campaign that said, here we come. And, and some of your early leaders, I'm gonna show you a picture before a building was built, was right here on this property, Ross Munn and Tim Welling and Pastor Jeremiah and myself and Dick Gingrich and Rich, Pastor Rich and Dave Penyon and, who prayed and said, God, we believe. And so today, we get to worship because there were a group of people behind us that propped us up in prayer. I love what God can do through prayer. And so when you begin to wrap your mind around what's happening as a result of prayer, not only are you praying for yourself, but you're praying for the generations that have yet to walk on planet Earth, and you get to prop them up, and God gets glory through their lives because of your prayer. I love how that works. Paul gives us even a bigger picture of what God wants to do with our prayers. And he wants, us, he wants to blow our minds with this passage in Scripture, and he wants us to not only think inside of our box, but to think outside of our box and think God box kind of prayers. Let's look at that. Gra- grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Um, our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verse 14 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Let's read this uh, together out loud. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Ready, read. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We have a seat. Paul reminds us that the answer is on its way and that the reason the answer is on its way is because we have a God that can do the immeasurable, unimaginable things in our lives and the lives of individuals today. The answer is on its way because Paul tells us here that the reason there is is because God loves us way more than we can fathom. And so when we begin to think about the God that we're praying to, that it's just not this, this distant God, that's this God who, who really, really loves us, then, then we pray differently because it becomes personal. We realize he really wants our best. He has our best interests in mind. Too often we lose sight of this reality. But God's love never changes. He loves us way more than our minds could ever conceive, Paul wants to say, basically. And by the way, the author of this chapter and the author of this book he wrote this. It's not like he's sitting on, in a resort somewhere sipping iced tea. It's, he's in prison. And so he's behind bars, he's chained, and he's writing to this church and saying, I need to remind you that there's this God that loves you. Even though I'm behind bars, I know it too. Even though I'm incarcerated, God loves me. It has nothing to do with condition, and it has everything to do with his position, and he never changes in his love for us. He wants Grace Community Church, and he wanted the church of Ephesus to know that God loves you way more than you can ever imagine. So listen, it's okay if you go to him with these gargantuous prayers, these grandiose prayers that somehow seem far-fetched to ever to occur in your life or be answered. He wants you to go there because God can do way more than that because he loves us. And we're reminded through Scripture that He loves us in all conditions, even at your very worst. In the armpit of sin, God doesn't love you any more there than He does when you're living your most righteous moment. He, his love never changes. And then Paul prays this. Look at verse 18. He says this. He says, May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. To grasp. I love that truth. And it bounced out of the pages to me for the first time in a fresh way this week. He pray, he's praying that we can grasp it. It's like somehow if we can get a hold of this truth, that it'll change the way we pray. And it'll change the way we think about God. If we can, like, go get it. He says, I want you to grasp this. Get a hold of it. And don't let go. In fact, in the original, this word grasp really means to hold on with an eternal grip. And when that truth is played out in our lives, when it's like, now hold on to this, Paul saying, and don't let go of this truth that God loves you so much that he could do things that'll blow your mind. And so as we go to him in prayer, he's saying, don't let go of that truth when you pray, because if you let go of that truth, it affects how you pray. You see, that truth seems like a fleeting thought, though, for many of us at times when you lose your job. Does God love me? When your spouse runs off with someone else, does God love me? When your kids get a disease that could be terminal, does God love me? When you don't get the starting spot on your team, does God love me? When the house you want it lands in someone else's hands that they really don't deserve it, does God love me? When you are in the armpit of sin and feel very distant, does God still love me here? 
when depression sweeps over your mind and you can't fathom anyone loving you. When people criticize and misunderstand you. When your child runs away from God. When your dream is crushed. When he seems distant. It's like you pray and it's like it just evaporates. When your IRA is wiped out after paying medical expenses, does God love me? When cancer knocks on your doorstep, does God love me? When you lose your husband to cancer, does God love me? And so Paul says, I want you to grasp this truth. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's saying, listen, if that's all you have to hold on to, that's enough. God loves you. It means to never let go of this truth. And when you understand that, it changes who you talk to, it changes how you pray, it changes how you respond to everything that's happening around you. It carries the idea of a lifetime grip, how wide and long and high and deep. It just, it's, it's firmly rooted in love, and it's, it's firmly rooted in, 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 in theology that says, not only for us to grasp that, but he grasped us with an eternal grip of love. In fact, hold your hand here and just turn to John chapter 10. Let me wrap your mind around another truth about this love that God has for us. Just please turn back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10. And look at verse 27 through 30. Jesus is saying this to those that are gathered. And he says this in verse 27. He says, my sheep. Listen to my voice. I what them? Know them. And they follow me. Then he says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never what? Perish. No one can what? Snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch him out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So Jesus gives this reminder, Paul gives us a reminder that we should grasp that truth. The reason we should grasp that truth is because we've already been grasped by an eternal God with an eternal grip. And it changes everything. Chris, I want to demonstrate with you. Can you help me out, please? I'm going to show you what, I think there's a truth I want to bring home. And so if you get this, it changes everything. John says first, through Jesus, Jesus said first, he says, come on over. He says, first, there's this grip that's around you. And so I, I, I want you to grip your, your own hands and take your hands like that and just, just grip, like you're holding on to love. You're holding on to that. It's like, you're not letting go. It's love. It's like, Paul says for Chris, hold on. Boy, you're holding on, dude. I mean, it's white knuckles. That's the picture. That's what I wanted. It's, it's like, Paul says, hold on to that, Chris. The, grasp how wide and how long and deep. And then, and then John comes along and says this. He says, and not only are you holding on, I want you to hold on, but there's this God that loves you so much. And he's, Jesus says, he's got an eternal grip on you. And he wraps around your hands. And then it says, the Father God, he also comes alongside and he grips his eternal hand. So here's the picture. You're the love. You have this love. You have a God that says, I'm not letting go. It's like, I can't. 
There's no way. It's like everywhere you go, it's like, no, you're not getting loose. And you get up, Jesus said, I got a hold. And the Father said, well, I got a hold of Jesus. And you're not going anywhere. And there's this eternal grip of love everywhere you go. That's awesome, isn't it? That is. Thanks, Chris. So picture that. When you think you can't go on, and you think that somehow that you've done something that's so horrible, Jesus said, ah, it's eternal. Ah, I don't care in your deepest, darkest armpit of sin. I got a hole, the three in one's got a hole, and it's eternal grip, by the way. There is nothing, there is no little God that can ever remove the hands and the grip of an eternal God who has an eternal grip. It is secure until you die. That's what John 10 says. So when you come to Christ, he's saying, listen, listen, there aren't any, there's not anything that could ever remove you from his grip. Nothing. Listen, nothing. Boy, when you wrap your mind around that, well, you mean, Pastor Jim, if I commit this sin and I do this four sins and these seven sins, listen, Jesus says it's an eternal grip. The Father's got a hold of Jesus. He's got a hold of you. Nothing. And so Paul says, boy, if you could grasp that love, and if you could get eternal grip hold of that, it would change how you pray to your God. When you get this down, everything changes and fear leaves you. You no longer fear about your condition or your future because you're engulfed in his love. It's like everywhere you look, high, deep, low, wide, there's Jesus. You can't run away from his love. It's, it's like everywhere you go, it's like Jesus is there. It's like when you buy a new car, a new car, new used car to you. Just say you, 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 you bought a Lamborghini. You know, just, just, just say that, okay? And you're driving along. It's like now all of you start and you start to see all these Lamborghinis. Or, or, or say, in my case, I would love to have a Jeep Commander. Just give me an 06 Jeep Commander. I got a Jeep Cherokee. But as soon as you buy the car, it's like you never saw them before. It's like everyone's got one. You know what I mean? You're driving along. You're feeling really cool about this new ride that you got. And it's like, there's one. And there's one, and there's one. And they've always been there, but you've never seen them before. And Paul is saying, listen, when you come to Christ, everywhere you look, there's Jesus. Everywhere. You're engulfed by that. And so in light of that, that should make us secure. Everywhere you look, you're held by his love. And then Paul says this. I, I like what he says in verse 19. He says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's two Greek words in, in know in, in the New Testament. There's the Greek word know, which is the, it's oida. And there's the Greek word that's gnosko. Now, in this case, it's gnosko. Oida is, when you see know, to know, oida is a head knowledge. It's like, I have empirical evidence that I know that to be true because there's evidence. It's like, I know it because, because it says it's there. It's intellectual head knowledge. This word, gnosko, to know the love of God and to know the fool is, is gnosko. It means to know through experience. It means I've witnessed it. 
I've, I've walked through and I've seen him come through. And so Paul says, and we want you to experience or know this love that surpasses. And once you've experienced it, it can't shake you any longer because it's personal to you. Paul says, you need to grasp and hold on to that. And when you know it, everything changes. He wants us to be filled with the fullness of that reality. Gushing, unstoppable, unending, limitless fountain of love. And when you know that, you can walk through anything. I remember looking back in my life and moments where it was like, man, I needed to know that from God because it seems so challenging. And because we're human beings, we go through periods of time where we, we, we because of, 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 of doubt walks in and creeps in or because we're just, we're human beings that struggle. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And I can remember a time when Josh was fifth grade and, 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 and he was going through a, a disease was just encamping on his life. And we had been to Riley Hospital 20 times. It felt like in six or eight months. And, and, and we were driving down there trying to figure out what's going on in his esophagus. And he would eat and he would throw up. And, and then he would get he had pneumonia six times in, in, in a period of one winter. And it's like he was on prednisone. His face was all swollen up. And I remember watching him play basketball. And he still wanted to play. And, and I remember sitting at Riley Hospital and they're running these tubes up through his nose. And, and they're trying to drop this liquid down through his esophagus that wasn't working. And I remember thinking, God, just give me the sickness. I remember just couldn't just, God, why? And so I just grabbed my Bible and I just started to read and just I, I clung to the promises of God's word. And I'm sitting in this room and, and I'm watching my son being wheeled down and, and he's got tubes running all through his nose and his face is all swollen and they don't know what's going on. They don't know how to fix it. And I start reading and it's like, and I just, the scripture just began, just, just like, was just baptizing me and just washing me. And I remember sitting there and all of a sudden, just like I felt this touch from God and said, Jim, I got him. Jim, I got him. It's going to be okay. It's those moments where he's there. He's there. Just like he said he would be. But we need to recognize him. Paul said it's in those moments you need to grasp that and hold on to that and not believe anything else. I can remember last summer driving home to Maryland when mom wasn't doing well and getting texts and it's just... It's horrible. It was just it's horrible. And I'm going to go home and help my mom. It's like, isn't that what a son's supposed to do? Help his mom. And I'm driving home by myself. And I'm on the road. And this picture, all this, it's falling apart at home. I'm driving home and I want to be strong. And so I'm just crying, just sobbing, just saying, God, I believe that you're real. God, I want to honor my mom. God, I didn't know what to do. Help me. Just give me wisdom. And, and, and so I began to to listen to a song that had that truth in it. And, and, and so I'm not exaggerating. For two and a half hours, I took my iPhone and, and, and I played this song over and over and over and over because I wanted to grasp this truth and I wanted to do what Paul was saying. Hold on to it. Even though it doesn't feel like it, I'm here. And the song by the Jesus culture just... 
said this, higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through the trial and change. One thing remains, one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. And I played it over and over and over and over. Why? Because I needed to grasp that truth that God was there. And that's what Paul is saying here. And once you grasp that truth, it changes you. And you realize somehow, someway, the answer's coming. Now stop and consider this too. Paul says he can do far more than what we can imagine, immeasurably more than what we can even ask. And then he says this. I want you to know this. I want you to remember it is going to be outside the box of your mind when the answer comes. I want you to know that this thing that you think you need, this answer that you think, this is the perfect solution for mom or for Josh or for my marriage or for income or, or for my son or for my daughter or, or, or for my investment or for my grandmother or for my child. This is what I think. And, and, and Paul is saying, listen, it's far more. It's going to be outside your box. So quit boxing God in when you ask him. And he says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. If the answer to your dreams or your prayer can be conceived in your mind, guess what? You don't need God. (laughs) Because if you can compute it and calculate it, And if you know that you think you know what's best, listen, God says, there's so much more than I could do. Why stop there? And so here's what happens. We think we know the answer. And so, and sometimes it's, most times it's out of genuine concern. We work harder and and we calculate and we try to bring this person into their life. and, And there's wisdom to doing those things. But if it, if you have figured out this plan And somehow you can see the answer by this path that you have charted all by yourself. Then maybe, just maybe, you haven't brought God into that plan. And God is saying, my plans are above your plans. And I can do so far much more than that. Let Let me explain better. People way smarter than me who study neuroimaging. And I've been doing a lot of reading on this. I ran across it again in Mark Batterson's book on prayer. But... Years ago, I was studying some of this, but people who study the brain waves, who literally, they'll, they'll chart people, they'll watch their brain, they'll ask them questions, and as they age, they begin to calculate, and so they study neuroimaging of the brain. They say, as you and I age, the center of the cognitive gravity tends to shift from the imaginative right brain side to the logical left brain side. In other words, as we age, we begin to think more out of the logical side than the imaginative side. And the neurologic, and this tendency, this neurological tendency can present a grave danger to Christ followers. Because at some point, we stop living out of our imagination and start living out of our memories. And so when we pray to God, we pray based on what we remember. Now, that's not all so bad. 
But if that's all there is, then what we've done, we've left this whole side of imagination, the God box, out of the, the conclusion that could happen. And so Paul is saying, listen, God can do so much more. Don't stay left logical brain only. And so many of you do. You, 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 you go out and you plan. You think, I want this home in 10 years, so I'll do this. I'll do this to this house. I'll sell this. I'll sell that. I'll do this. I'll buy this. I'll buy them. I'll do this. I'll do that. And you got it all charted out. you got like your 10-year plan. And I want to say, wait a minute. Where's the God piece? Maybe he can do it in three weeks. And so you'll work longer and you'll you work overtime and you, you got it all charted. You'll spend less and those things are all good. But wait a minute. If you can see the end result based upon your plan, then that's all logical. And God said, hey, there's this whole other piece called imagination and immeasurable. You can't even, you don't even, you can't even imagine. And God says, I can do that. In fact, here's how I would summarize this. We only believe what we remember. So since we have never seen it, then it's not a possibility any longer. And for some of us, even worse, because we live out of our memories, we only believe that's what God can do. And as we age, we also lose our memories. And for some of us, we don't remember anything. It's like, is there a God? (laughs) Watch a business, a church, a family, a pastor, a husband that falls into logical, left-brain-only thinking. By the way, he's usually a real tightwad. They only use other people's stuff or rarely do they do anything that has yet to be seen. The desire for excellence in their lives can often fuel and perpetuate a fear of trying something new. And it becomes much of the same thing over and over because they've seen it before. They've done the math. And before you know it, instead of living out of faith, they're living out of logic only. Because that is what's been tested and proven and safe and calculated. And guess what? You might not even need God in that. I love watching people who live out of their imagination who prepare for something like, oh boy, God's going to do something big and I'm ready. I mean, I love watching the Easter egg hunt every year. Have you ever watched like the third grade boys? You know, they, you ever watch as they, I always say, it, the size of their bag determines their imagination. So they bring these bags. It's like, you see this dude and you think, oh, that's no problem. I'm going to get all his eggs. It's the dude that shows up, this, the third grade boy with this bag at the Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Listen to me. You're not stopping him. He thinks... They're all his. He knows that the egg in the center that's got the iPod in it, his beady eyes say, it's mine. And so when you stand beside him, listen, moms, don't put your little third grade boy with the helmet, knee pads, and elbow pads beside him. And you watch him. It's like these moms, they're standing behind these third grade boys. Oh, baby, don't get hurt. Listen, don't get in his way. But I wonder when we pray, who are we? 
well, God, I've seen this. But God says, I can do so much more. So much more. So, Paul says, when you ask, remember, it's even bigger than this. (laughs) Maybe it's both of your boys holding a bag twice the size. The day we stop praying and dreaming for that is the day we start dying. In fact, as a kid, I memorized Jeremiah 33.3 in the King James. And I remember prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, we would all stand up and would say, we would say this verse, call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I remember just like, the vows and the knowest and the, the twixt and the betwist. And... But as we stood there, this, this, this preacher would say, listen, he would say, there are things that you knowest not that God can do. I'll show you great and unsearchable things. It's like, it's, it, it, we were on a, on a trip to Asia and and, and, and one of our team members, Boyd, we were talking about Google, and, and I was talking about this verse, and, and, and as we're watching and talking about this verse, I said, you realize that everything we need, we can go to Google, and there's a search engine, and we type it in, shoes, car, hats, whatever it is, just buildings, uh, clothes, uh, people, and we search it in. It's like, and all of a sudden, all these websites appear. Yet when you go, God's saying, I can show you things that aren't in the search engine. It's unsearchable. Now, be quite frank. I got quite an imagination, if you haven't figured that out by now. I can think like, I think like, I could, I could run with the best of them when I, when, I, when I think about what God can do. And it's like, and, and so I can't even imagine, I can't imagine something like that. And God says, you can't even imagine that you can't imagine because my imagination is so far above what you can't imagine. And so when we go to God, we got to drop this bag too and say, God's container is so much bigger than that. One author said it this way, the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine is supplanted by a God who fits within the logical constraints of our minds. Our faith gets stale and our prayers get familiar And we slowly die. Meanwhile, God is saying, there's so much more I can do. And we start going after dreams that do not require divine intervention. Or worse yet, ones that we could never believe could happen because we choose not to go after them because we haven't seen it. Paul is saying, come on, Grace Community. Come on, church at Ephesus. Your God is so much more than that, and he's waiting for you to ask. (laughs) But we pray these safe little prayers, and we live these safe little lives, and have these safe little kids and safe little houses and safe little investments and safe little plans because that's the prudent thing to do. Sure it is. But at some point, you got to move beyond prudence (laughs) Paul is saying God is able, God can. You know what? It would be awesome if you just removed I can't from your vocabulary. In fact, 
If you're in a group, an accountability partner, and, and this is for men only, and if your accountability partner says, I can't, just punch him in the nose. Seriously, we have come up with this litany of excuses, and Paul is saying, yes, you can, because God is able. And sometimes he just likes to show up. I mean, we pray about, I know you do too. It's not like we're special or something. We pray about some of the most trite things that some people would think of sometimes. You know, last week we were in Fort Myers um, and beach, and it's a beautiful beach, and if you've ever been there, it's a great place to be. Josh was playing some baseball, we went down to spring break, and it was a great week. Last year we went there too. And if you've ever been there, you drive over this bridge into Fort Myers Beach, and there's like, you know, thousands of people, and there's 24 parking places. It feels that way. It's like driving into Grace Community on Sunday morning trying to find a spot during second service. But just multiply that by thousands of people. And so, unless you take the shuttle, which is 400 miles away, it's like, I just drove 1,200 miles. I don't want to take a shuttle. I'll find a spot. And so you're driving into Fort Myers Beach, and you know how it goes. You go to these parking lots, and you've got to keep going in the same direction. As soon as you stop, the 800 cars behind you have to stop, and they're real happy, and they, they show you friendly gestures as you do that. <laughs> and so we're driving into Fort Myers Beach, and, there's, and so, no, we did. I said, let's just pray. Just pray that, you know, there's, like, there's hundreds of cars in line. Let's just pray that God gives us a spot. Not that we deserve it, but you know what? He can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So I'm serious. We're driving in. This is no exaggeration. We're driving in. We take one turn. We go down the first path. There's 700 cars behind me. And and this guy comes out from the beach. He's running to his car. He's in a rush. (laughs) He hops in his car, drives away, and I pull in. I get out and do the Harlem Shake. It's awesome. Seriously, why don't we ask God? God likes to giggle once in a while. You know, there's a passage in Scripture that in Numbers 22 that covers that too. It's, it's Balaam, and he has a donkey. And Balaam is supposed to go somewhere, and this was before Mr. Ed. And, uh, and, and so Balaam is supposed to go somewhere, yet God thinks doesn't want him to go this way. So Balaam gets on his donkey, and as he's riding along, his donkey sees this angel of the Lord, but Balaam doesn't see it, and the donkey stops. And Balaam is ticked. He, he says that he beats his donkey, like, donkey, get going. Donkey's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so, this next, past, next couple of verses says, he goes in the direction again, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, and he gets squeezed up against the wall that the angel of the Lord, Balaam can't see it. And so he presses the foot His foot, Balaam's foot between the donkey and the wall. And this time, Balaam is ticked because his donkey always listened to him before. And it says he beats him with a stick. And by this time, Balaam is ticked and the donkey's ticking. He wants to say, well, I can't move. And then it says this a few verses later, that he rides on and the angel of the Lord stops between the vineyard on the path again. And finally... He can't go anywhere. And it says that God opens up the mouth of a donkey, Mr. Ed. And he turns and he talks to Balaam. Now, I don't know what's more a miracle, the the donkey talking or Balaam talking to a donkey. And so what happens is the donkey says, haven't I been a good donkey? Haven't I always done what you're supposed to do? And Balaam's like, yeah. And so God opens the eyes of 
of Balaam and he sees the angel of the Lord and he realizes that God himself stops Balaam from going where he's supposed to do because he wants to send him in another direction. Now, seriously, if God can make a donkey talk and see an angel of the Lord, I wonder what he can do for us. Sometimes God gets in our way to stop us from wrecking his plan. And we're ticked about it. I'm ready to kill the donkey. (laughs) Yet it's in our best interests. But in the midst, we cry out and we say things like, why, God, I know this was best. This was best for her and best for him and best for me. Or God, what are you doing? And so he's standing in the way, not because he doesn't want to answer us, because he does want to answer us, and he's got our back, and he doesn't want us to go this way. He wants us to go that way, and we're ticked, and we're ready to kill him. I've had many moments like that in my stubborn life. I can remember as a 26, 27-year-old man, serving as a lay person youth pastor in Hagerstown. It was after Ian and I got married and we were serving, I was serving as an elder on this, this church and I was a lay person youth pastor and was able to help start a, a ministry called the Hagerstown Teen Center. To be quite frank, thousands of kids had come through in those five years and hundreds of kids got saved and it was an exciting thing. The church had yet to see anything like that. And so a lot of these young families were coming to this church and they had children and the attendance was growing and, and there was salvation and there was life. And, and, and so, you know, in my mind, I was justifying like, well, God, you're doing some crazy things here. And so it was a time period where they, they decided that they would potentially bring in a youth pastor. And so the church was going to vote. And I knew that if they would bring in another pastor, it was me that they would bring in. And so Ann and I were serving there faithfully. Josh was just small, a couple months old. And we loved what we were doing. And so I was so certain that they were going to say yes. that I remember walking up to the upstairs area of this church and there was an office and I would walk into this office and I would just say, God, <laughs> here it is. I will be faithful to you, Lord. I can't wait. And, and there were many... I had many relationships with the teens, and it was a healthy time. So we come to the, came to this meeting, and, and as we're at this meeting, uh, the, the, their, their constitution said that it needed to have a 66.6% vote in order for any motion to pass. By the way, 666, don't use that number. Ann and I talked about it, and we pray about it. We knew that's where we're going. It's like, God, it's obvious, man. I mean, Holy cow, it seems, and, and there was pride in my heart. You know, just look what we've done. It's like, don't they see that? And so the vote came, and, and we're seated in this meeting, and, and the vote came back, and two people abstain in their constitution. If you abstain, it's a no vote. By the way, it's either yes or no. Don't abstain. Don't be gutless. And so those were uh, abstention, but God used that. And so here's, the, here's an interesting thing about this. The vote came back without those two votes that abstained, which would have made the number less, 65.8% said yes. And so the answer was no. And I remember sitting in the back of this church and inside, I was crushed. I was crushed. And I looked at my wife and she was crushed. And I was talking to my face. Face, don't show it. Don't show it. You ever do that? Well, you talk to your face inside, you are dying. But on the outside, face, pretend. And I was doing my best dance on my face. 
But inside, I was dying, and I was saying, why, God? God, why? That's what I want to do. That's why I went to school first. That's why I studied. That's why I'm here. This church needs me, God. These kids need me. God, the church is excited. And even the senior pastor came and said, Jim, I believe this too, and I'll speak up for you. Never spoke up. Great man of God. But he was afraid because finances didn't allow that decision to be made, and he was fearful that somehow it wouldn't happen. And I remember driving home, and I saw the tears rolling down my wife's face. And we, we were in the vehicle in my Toyota pickup truck, and we were crying on the way home. I just didn't understand. I just didn't understand. It just didn't make sense. But I needed to grasp that God loves me. And I needed to grasp that God can do far more than I could ever imagine. And so God stood in the way and said, no, not here, but Grace Community Church. You see, sometimes those detours are the perfect plan of God. Divine detours often get us exactly what God wants us to be. You see, if we only operate on the left side, what we can see, we miss out on the right side in this box that's unimaginable. But when you begin to imagine that God can do more, you live with this expectancy that God's going to do something great. You begin to pray bigger prayers, more bold, audacious prayers. And and you pray things that people are like, you're weird. I love praying for ninth inning home runs and buzzer beaters. I love being the underdog and watching God come through. We need vision beyond our resources. Plus, someone's prayer from the past is still percolating in heaven. And it could uncork in your life. I've experienced much of that in my lifetime. You see, there's no expiration date to prayers. Let me say this. The greatest gift that you could ever give your children, their children, and their children is prayer. You might be long and gone, but the answer that prayer could request could fall on this great, great grandchild one day who brings unusual revival to the land because of your fervent prayers. One day down the road, your prayer request could be answered through a great grandchild of yours. You see, 1954, there were people praying before I was born. 1962, I was born. I wanted to go here, God. (laughs) This is the path. But in 1954, this group was praying, 1955, 56, 57, 58, and clean up to 90s, we're praying. And God said, no, I want you to go this way. This is where I can best use you. So, in light of that, we should prepare and live as if he's going to do something with us and through us. And once we begin to believe that answer is on the way, we live differently, we dream differently, and we realize that God is so much more. And even though we don't see how it's going to work out, we got to live in such a way, live as if the unexpected is going to be expected through us. You see, we can't contain or begin to calculate what God has in store for those that love him. So your prayer answer might burst this afternoon. The cork might unpop on this thing that you've been laboring on. So after we pray, we should be so expectant that we should run to the window and wait. 
every day hoping that somehow God's going to answer today. There's a passage in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah is praying. First, he's got Baal, and Baal and Elijah are going after each other on the altar, and, the, and, and, and Baal is praying to his gods, little gods, that, that, that he'll do miraculous things. And magicians came in, and so Elijah is praying to our God. And so finally, it gets to the end, it's the battle of the gods. And finally, Elijah prays, and he says, go get some water. And so they douse this, this altar in, in water, and it's dripping over. It says that the, the, the tunnels around it or this was filled up around it. And then it says that God came down and took a fire, burn up the altar, burn up the men, burn up everything. And God says, here I'm again. And during that time, there was a drought in the land and it hadn't rained for a long time. And it says in this passage that Elijah prayed. In fact, James says, Elijah, a man just like us. This don't over-spiritualize characters of the Bible. Man just like us. He prayed for rain. And so he's praying for rain after this. And people are like, it hasn't rained, Elijah. It's not going to rain. So he tells his servant, he tells his servant, I want you to go out and look to the sky. So he runs out the first time. He says, go out and see if you can see any clouds. So he runs out, doesn't see anything. He runs back to Elijah. And Elijah says, I know it's going to rain because I prayed to my God. Well, get back out there. So he goes out a second time. He looks to the heavens because he has this expectant look that God's going to provide an answer. Comes back, two, three, four, five, six. Finally, the seventh time, he runs out. And finally, he sees a cloud and he runs back. I've often wondered during that time if we, could, if we could make that a modern look. I'd often wondered if, while Elijah was standing there, if he wasn't standing there in a set of hip waders. Now picture this. It hadn't rained for a long time. The land was parched. It just hadn't rained. Yet Elijah, he believed. And it said, not only did he believe, it's more than just believing that God can come through. There comes a point where we step first and say, God, not only we believe, but we're preparing for it. And so there's a sense that I believe it's going to rain. So in the middle of the parched land, in the middle when it hasn't rained, there stood Elijah and a pair of hip waders saying, God, I might look like a fool, but you said you're going to come through, and I believe, and I'm going to do whatever I can on my end to be prepared. I wonder how often we look like fools for God. I wonder if God wants us to move first and get our feet wet and show him that we believe before he moves. You see, we always think God needs to move first. And then I'll believe. Maybe God needs to see us look pretty stupid and prepare and have some hip waders on and say, okay, God, I'll go first. I'll look stupid because I believe that you can do the unimaginable and I might look like an idiot, but I believe that you can answer idiot prayers. He wants us to see if we can believe he can. You see, maybe it means you say, I'm preparing the table for my prodigal son to come home. Maybe it's saying, I got the passport for the missions trip, but I don't know how the money's going to come in, but I got the passport. Maybe it's, I got the colors of my new kitchen picked out, but I don't know where the resources are, but uh, I've watched Home and Garden for 59 straight episodes. I know what it looks like. Or I've bought some new running shoes because I'm going to kick cancer in the butt by the grace of God, and there's going to be a day I'm going to do a little jig. 
or I've practiced ripping up papers because this bill's going to get paid off and we're going to do it together. Or I bought a new dress because my husband and I are going to be renewing our vows. And it might seem dark and it might seem bleak, but I got the new dress and I've been standing in front of the mirror. And there's going to be a day that Christ is going to be in the center of this relationship. And we're going to have love that I've never imagined before. Or I got the matchbox because one day I'm driving this puppy. (laughs) Or I got the bed made because the kid... In Haiti, Ethiopia, or Asia, he's coming home. Or I picked out my flower girl because I'm single and I'm sick of it and I'm marrying that man there that I don't know. (laughs) Or I marked the date of the 5K because, doggone it, I'm tired of saying I can't and I'm losing 50 pounds and I don't care if I run it in 50 minutes, I'm running it. See, I think that was what Paul was saying there. But is that what we believe? Do you want to look like a fool for God? I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to grab a pen or pencil, and I don't know what your thing is. And, and, and for some, there, is, there isn't anything. But maybe it's a son, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a sickness. And maybe it's a no from God. Maybe it's, you've been praying for this, and you say, I just need to be open to something else. I want you to just write it down. What's your thing that you're saying, God, not only did I pray, but God, I believe. And I'm going to look like a fool. And I'm writing it down, and I'm taking it home with me, and I'm going to do something with this. I might buy a dress. I might get the shoes. I might make the bed. I might do this, I might do that, but I'm going to do more than pray about it. Here it is. And, and if you've got a thing, I want you to write down. And if you've got a thing, I want you to stand up right now. Just, just stand up. You can write it while you're standing up. I don't know what it is. I want you to move to the center of your aisle, wherever your aisle is. Just, just move there. Take that thing with you. And I want to pray. But don't go there unless you're willing to stick your foot out and show them that you believe. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to take your hand and put it on the shoulder of the person in front of you, around you, beside you, and single guys, this is your chance. (laughs) Go get him, gals. You've seen him across the way. Go stand behind him. Stand up in the link. Stand up in the main. I, I just want to pray over you. Father God, you're the God of the impossible. You're the God who says that you can, that, that you can do things that we can't even imagine. God, open our minds. Give us big garbage bags instead of small ones. Give us hip waders to look stupid. Show us, God, this week how we can prepare the field for the answer. God, help us to step out and take the first step. And so, God, I pray. I pray for answers. I pray for supernatural intervention. God, it's not because of this prayer, it's because of you. And we're going to prop you up because you're the God that can do it. And so, Jesus, I pray for healing. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for marriage intervention. I pray for financial breakthrough. God, I pray for partners, husbands, and wives. Jesus, I pray for sickness to drop. I pray that I can't will be dropped from the vocabularies. To you be the glory, to the church in Jesus Christ. Show them, God, what they need to do next. I commit them to you in the strong, 
powerful, unmatching, unending name of Jesus Christ. Amen.